Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a... Amateur. I suppose. Amateur hour. Is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour. Is what's happening. Football, friendship, and fun, that's what we do. We watch the Chiefs and talk about them too. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour. Podcast. I'll tell you once more before we start to record. Amateur Hour. Ryan Scott Hall and his darkness. You know that these guys are the best in the biz. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour Podcast. I'll tell you once more before we start to record. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour. Amateur I think it's about time to start the show. Just one more chorus, then away we go. Amateur hour. Amateur hour. A podcast. Here comes Ryan and Dirk, your favorite amateurs. Amateur hour. That's right. Welcome into Amateur Hour, folks. I am Ryan Scott Hall, and joining me today... Looking like a real pumpkin pie, hair-cutted freak, his darkness. So, you have the uh, the hairy from Dumb and Dumber kind of mop toppy looking, you know. Well, like, I'm, you I'm do trying that to get... squeaky sound that he makes after he drinks the pee out of the bottle. But <laughs> that's you know. I'm okay. trying to get away from the uh, Daniel Stern comparison, so I'm uh, <laughs> doing everything I can to avoid the uh, the wet bandit, sticky bandit look. Okay, so just, you know, go with uh, 1994 smash hit Dumb and Dumber. Yes. All right. Well, before we get started today, I have a public service announcement for all those Chiefs fans out there. This week's loss was brought to you by GEHA. GEHA, a company that I've never heard of before, don't know what they do, don't know what they're about, but you know, they sure seem to have their name all over everything. Thanks, GEHA. Really appreciate your, uh, your contribution to my favorite football team. Fuck yeah. Fuck him in the face. Um, so when we were discussing the different things that we wanted to go over today, uh, Dirk, you had pretty much a bunch of offensive stuff and I had a bunch of defensive stuff. Um, but I feel like maybe 
we should at least at the very top acknowledge the fact that Andy Reid was back at work today. Um, I know, Dirk, you sent a message to our WhatsApp group saying, hey, I'm, I'm on DVR for the afternoon. Let me know if anything happens to Andy. When you weren't like glued to the television and the Twitter on Sunday afternoon, how scared were you about Andy Reid leaving Arrowhead in an ambulance? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say too scared. I mean, all the reports were positive. I did think it was a little weird. Um, and I did get a little concerned with the COVID stuff. And the COVID stuff seems to have hit the uh, overweight population hardest, um, which Andy Reid still, despite slimming down over the years, still a bit overweight. Uh, so that was a fear of mine. Um, but, you know, any, any, anything like that with Andy, I always get a little concerned, but um, everything just seemed to be precautionary and uh, I knew I'd get blown up if anything happened. So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a little, a little tro troubling times, but uh, I got over it with some uh, biscuits and gravy and some beach time. It's, uh, that's the new recipe to get over losses. Uh, out here on the, on the beach style life, so it's a little bit easier. I mean, I, I got to say, one thing I, I want to start tabbing in on is uh, being a Chiefs fan away from Kansas City because it's it's brand new to me. Um, last year we didn't really do the show, so we didn't really get to, to you know dive into that. Uh, but I, I feel like a large number of our audience comes from Chiefs fans away from Kansas City because it's just like you have to uh, kind of seek out uh, Chiefs talk if you're not living in Kansas City. So you go into like podcasts if you live in Kansas City, you can turn on the radio at pretty much any time they'll be talking Chiefs whether you like the show or not you can still get your your fill um so you know I just want to give some you know maybe a little reoccurring weekly series on what it's like to be a Chiefs fan outside of Kansas City but for this week getting over a crushing loss much easier not in Kansas City because you're just not surrounded by it uh go outside enjoy the uh the nice day and uh, you're not just like reminded of it constantly, even though I kind of am because, you know, my chief, my car is like a fucking Chiefs mobile. So everybody knows I'm obviously a Chiefs fan driving around. Everybody knows where I stand. So I did. I do have a few friendly neighbors I had to quiet down. Like, don't even ask. Don't even ask. I got a Bills fan right across the street. Uh, he seems like a cool guy. But yeah, he, I saw him 30 minutes after the game and just yelled, don't even ask. And he was like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I guess I'm curious because you used to take losses really hard, <laughs> really, really seriously. Um, and just seeing you like have a meal and a trip to the beach and, and slowly adding some battery percentage via Twitter showing us where you're feeling, how much better you're feeling as the afternoon goes along. I mean, do you feel like it's changed a lot being away from it just because you, like you said, you're not super surrounded by it, or maybe it's more about like winning the Super Bowl? It's about winning the Super Bowl. Um, I think that's it. Um, I was always, you know, a little concerned about what would happen, um, you know, once we won those Super Bowl, because, you know, we did it. Once we, once we did it, you know, doing it again is cool, but, you know, that first time is everything. Um, so I'm really glad. I'm, I'm actually happy we're doing the podcast this year instead of last year, um, just because, you know, last year, it, it, it wouldn't have been exciting stuff. You know, we won again. I'm kind of bored. What does it mean? Not much. We're the best. It's just 17 weeks of that. But this season, you know, 
Kind of got fired up again from the Super Bowl loss. Kind of got a little reinvigorated here. And now I got some actual turmoil um, in the season. So I mean, we got some fun stuff to discuss. Whereas last year, I, I feel like we would have been a snooze fest, especially our show um, and the way we approach it. Uh, it wouldn't have been an entertaining product last year. So I feel like it really worked out well for the amateur hour. But really, this week, I, I was mad about the loss. But it wasn't the loss that I was mad. You know, I, I can take losing. I talked about this last week. Lot, losing is in my blood as a uh, 90s Chiefs fan, at least, at least heartbreaking losses. Um, but, you know, regular season losses, they don't, they ain't sticking with me much these days. You know, we got Mahomes. Things are good. We're going to the playoffs. Playoffs loss will get to me, I'm sure. But it, it wasn't that. It, it was the passenger for its call. Um, Anybody who watches football with me knows that pass interference just, it bothers me to no end. Um, and seeing that call at fourth and nine, it was just, it's, that, that really upset me. I mean, I could have I tweeted out, fuck, I, I, I could have tweeted it out a hundred times. I just, I was irate about that call. Uh, I just wanted to tweet it out again and again. It's all I was feeling was, was just fuck, fuck, fuck you, fuck NFL. It's just pass interference. I hate it, man. I hate it. Uh, so, so what upset me was it's the integrity of the sport, man. The NFL is my favorite thing in the world. I've based large decisions in my life around. It. I love the NFL, and I and I just don't like the pass interference call. It, it takes away from the game. Um, instead of you know a wide receiver and a quarterback battling for a deep ball, instead of seeing who can win a one-on-one -on -one battle, it should be the most exciting play in football. You get wide receivers just running into a defender, just falling down. Or you get just bailout calls like that. That's just two dudes playing football with the game on the line. This is that's that was the exact play you want to see. You know, a little stop, a little back shoulder throw uh, to the charger receiver. I don't is it Keenan Allen? I don't think it was Keenan Allen. Guyton. Jalen Guyton. Okay, so you got you got a secondary option going up against our secondary corner, but one on one with the game on the line, a ballsy call. Like, oh fuck yeah, let's see this. And for it to be cited by this flag, that's just. There's, there's nothing there, man. It's just, it's, it's bailing out. I want to see teams earn it. I want to see players earn it. Uh, passing their friends just bothered me to no end as, as anybody who's watched football with me before. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is I get mad at passing occurrence calls when they go in the Chiefs' favor. I just, it's, it's, so it's not a homer thing. It's not a Chiefs thing. It's not because they lost it. Well, partly because is because they lost on that call. But I just do not like where pass interference is going in the league, and I don't like seeing it decide games like that. It was a pretty miserable call. Um, honestly, you go back, and I mean, it, it took forever. They didn't show a replay on the broadcast, and I saw, I want to say it was Brandon Kylie tweet, like, hey, we they didn't, like, go to commercial. They just sat there. And talked about it for, you know, a little bit as the Chargers lined up for the next play. They never show a replay um, through the end of the game. They never end up showing a replay. And people are on Twitter trying to figure out what the heck happened on that play. Where, Like, where is the flag coming from? And I don't think anybody has actually identified the problem, um, you know, whether it's the ref just citing the wrong number um, and that it's not actually a, a flag being thrown like on the play the where well, it's happening 
I mean, no, it, it's definitely they said Sorensen. They said his number. It's definitely on Baker. I mean, I see what they called. It's just not worthy of a call. That's yeah. I mean, that's it. But they, they did flag it on Sorensen, which even added to the confusion because I, I bet they were looking for that on the replay. Like, how the hell is 49 involved here? Um, I don't see how you confuse Sorensen and Baker necessarily, but um, but yeah, it's so, so it wasn't it was on Baker. It was on Baker. So I mean, even with that being the case, like I mean, one of the the more prominent media voices um, that that I know of is a guy that works for the Ringer, um, and and he's uh, very very high up there. And he quote he quote tweeted Brandon Kylie talking about why didn't we even get a replay, and he talked about how this is something that he feels like consistently happens on the Nance Romo coverage is that they miss these big moments um, that, and, and they're not, they're not showing replays like that in, in these critical situations. Um, and so, I mean, it seemed like it was actually, that's, that's Brian Curtis, by the way, I guess I didn't say his name. Um, but I mean, it was certainly a conversation into the afternoon games not even just among Chiefs fans that like we still don't really know what happened on that play even if we can say like hey it's thrown on Baker there was nothing there for us to really know that like that's what's being penalized it was that vague to me yeah and you, and you really saw the attention thrown at the uh, play clock thing in Detroit um, so I mean I get that that's more cut and dry more black and white um, so it's easier for them to talk about. And then you saw a lot of attention to the Hail Mary play, mm -hmm. uh, which is obvious pass interference on it. I mean, they never call it, which I'm fine with. Um, but and I, and I wouldn't care at all if they didn't decide the game with the pass interference on our play. And, it, you know, the thinking of why don't you call pass interference on a Hail Mary play? Well, you don't want the game decided by a pass interference. Penalty. Well, <laughs> well, Jesus fuck, folks. What the fuck did we see on Sunday? The game was on the line. The entire game was on the line. It came down to this play decided by a pass interference point. So I don't really get the distinction there, the difference between those two kinds of plays, other than, you know, maybe Hail Marys, they're always going to call pass interference, which I don't think is true at all. That one was just blatant blocking. But once again, not asking for a flag on the pass interference, I want the players to always play. It, and what bothers me, it's just, it's inviting flopping into the NFL which is the number one reason that you hear people, you know, say that they don't like the NBA. It's the number one reason you hear people say they don't like soccer. It's because of the flopping and it's out of control. Like they can take over those sports and this is just inviting it into the NFL. And there's and it, and the, the shitty thing is that it's the smart thing to do. You know, if I'm teaching receivers right now and you're running down the field, I ain't teaching you to go up and catch the ball. I'm teaching you to run into the defender, fall down, and get a free 50 yards. And this is where the NFL is, is kind of heading with this. And it's it's really bothersome. Um, we, we got a little quick deep dive here. I'm going to get to uh, just because it's on pass interference. Uh, so let's go to the numbers here on the deep dive. Oh, we're, all, we're giggly already. We are giggly already. 
All right, so pass interference. No, from, from the 90s and 2000s NFL that I know and love. Where have we come from then to now? Did a little deep dive, found a little information. All right, we're looking at pass interference calls. Average per season, 2006 to 2010, we're looking at 167 calls per season in that five-year range. Next five years, 2011, 2015, 225 per season. The next four years, 2016 to 2019, an average of 269 calls per season. Last year, 309 pass interference calls per season. So we are going 167, 225, 269, 309 last year. 2021 pace, 346 pass interference calls on the defensive side. I, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't know who wants it. Who wants it? It's not exciting. There's no fantasy points. It's way too big of a penalty. It's unearned. Who wants it? Get it out of my fucking game. Get it out. I I do want to go back to one of your talking points. You had mentioned that, you know, if you're teaching receivers right now, and, and really even if you're teaching quarterbacks, it's like you want the ball slightly underthrown on purpose so that you can create contact in usually a one-on-one -on -one situation and draw this flag that's going to allow you to march down the field 40, 50 yards just for chucking up a prayer um, and kind of planning on putting the defender in a bad spot. Well, it's the, it's the entire Steelers offense right now. That's what the Steelers do. They just, here's a 40-yard throw. Let's hope for P.I. because Roethlisberger's arm is cooked. It's the only way they can get a downfield gain is to do that. So, and, and this is maybe here nor there, but, I see this, and I, I think that the, honestly, most people, I think this is probably where their frustration lies, is the inconsistency in the way that these calls are made. So if on one hand, we can say that coaches and receivers uh, and quarterbacks are all kind of plotting to try to put defenders in these situations where pass interference becomes this monstrous penalty, and yet that's in a one-on-one -on -one situation that, you know, I guess you could call that 50-50, but a Hail Mary oftentimes is a similar throw, except for the fact that it's like a pile of people and they never call that because it would be, you know, at the end of the game or something. Um, and I can understand where in, in those end of game situations, referees maybe want to let things go a little bit more right? And Hail Marys are literally like the last play of the game. But it just seems odd to me that it's like clear as day that you're going to throw a flag in a corner on receiver downfield matchup, just one-on-one, -on -one, like very consistently. Um, and, and with the Hail Mary, which is almost exactly the same thing, you're not doing that. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of reason for frustration but, you know, the Chiefs are now one and two and in last place in the AFC West. And I don't think that as much as maybe um, the penalties are playing a factor here, there's certainly bigger topics to discuss with the Chiefs through three weeks. Um, if we were. I guess. 
I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, if we were to play who you mad at again, because the Chiefs lost again, I will tell you that I personally am very mad at Steve Spagnolo. Um, and, and here, I think, is the crux of the argument, but I do have a lot of different things uh, that I think are worthy of talking about as it relates to the Chiefs defense. Um, top of the list, however, is that all offseason, whether it was coaches or players, any time that they stepped to the microphone, they talked about focusing on improving in the red zone because we were last in the league last year. This was the off-season focus for the Chiefs defense. After these first few games, I'm still hearing Steve Spagnuolo talk about an extreme focus and taking ownership. Um, we know what's happening. We know that it's bad. Listen, man, 12 touchdowns and a field goal on 13 red zone possessions after you claimed to have spent all offseason emphasizing red zone defense, that is a special kind of ineptitude. I mean, it is endlessly infuriating to me. I, I've looked at a lot of different numbers. We're going to do another deep dive here. Oh, and come on. I, come on. You know, just, just let me have this. Let me I, have this. I want my corners. <laughs> I want my corners. I want my corners. That's fair. Um, all right, <laughs> listen. So in 2019, the first year under Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs ended the season 10th in red zone scoring, 53%. Last year, they were 32nd, as mentioned. They were at 72.88%. Right now, through three games, small sample size, but still, the Chiefs are 29th, believe it or not, because of that one field goal stop that they made, but they're at 92.31%. I went back and looked at 2018 because they were historically bad. Um, it certainly felt that way, and it was, you know, ultimately the straw that broke Bob Sutton's back. And the Chiefs landed at 29th that season. They were at 70.8%. So the Chiefs defense was even worse in the red zone last year than in the year that canned Bob Sutton. Um, but let's take an even deeper dive and look at the worst defensive stretches over three games. We're, we're never going to finish this podcast at this rate. We're <laughs> never going to do it. Yeah, that's fair. We're, we're never going to do it. We're going to trail off. Um, listen, in 2018 under Bob Sutton, uh, the Chiefs in weeks 11, 13, and 14, there was a buy in there, obviously. They gave up 111 points. That was including that Rams game. But Rams, Raiders, Ravens, the Chiefs gave up 111 points, but they went two and one during that stretch. The only loss being to the Rams. If you want to add in weeks 15 and 16, the Chiefs went two and three over a five game stretch against the Rams, Raiders, Ravens, Seahawks, and Chargers, and they surrendered 178 points. Basically 30 points a game. Actually, it's even more than that because it's only five games. Um, it's, it's a lot. They gave up a lot. It was terrible. Um, in 2019, in games- How amateur deep dive is this? 
<laughs> in in 2019, weeks eight, nine, and ten, they gave up 89 points, went one and two against the Packers, Vikings, and Titans. Um, that is pretty similar to this year. Our first three weeks, one and two, gave up 95 to the Browns, Ravens, and Chargers. Um, basically, you have to go back to Bob Sutton to have as bad of a three-game stretch as the Chiefs have started this year. It is definitely the worst three-game defensive stretch in the Steve Spagnolo era. Um, and and so it's I'm looking at this thinking, man, you guys are terrible in the red zone. You're you're in last place in scoring, in net yards per attempt passing, in yards per attempt rushing. You're last in all of these defensive categories. And and I just don't, I don't know what's going on. I really don't. I know that the the defense has started slow even in 2019, but dude, they finished like right in the middle of the pack in scoring that year. And they finished 10th in the red zone, even despite having some, some tough stretches. I mean, let's start here. Where's Jaron Reed? Does he play for this team? Is he getting snaps? Is he playing two thirds of the defensive snaps or so, right? This is a guy that not, I mean, what was it? How many times did Andy Reid step up to the microphone and talk about Jaron Reed? You know that Brett Veach, I tell you what, what a move. Jaron Reed, you guys aren't really talking about him, so I'm going to talk about him. Did that like 10 times. Not only that, but the signing of Jaron Reed, instead of signing an edge player, has moved Chris Jones out to defensive end, which... One of my big questions heading into the season, first week looked okay. Last two weeks, I would say not looking great. I, I think I just, I like them better inside. I don't, I, I like what worked. He was a great defensive tackle. I don't get making that change unless you're saying, you know, we get Jaron Reed in here. It's such a bargain that now we're able to slide him outside and still be as good inside and just upgrade the outside. And that doesn't seem to be the case at all so far. You know, it's interesting, uh, our, our buddy Joe Dice at Pulse of the Chiefs on Twitter was talking a little bit about this this week, and he's like, look, man, you've got a guy in Mike Dana that seems to be playing well enough that he should be getting snaps at defensive end consistently enough that we might be talking about put Chris Jones back at defensive tackle where he belongs and, and have Jaron Reed play the 33% instead of the, you know, 65% of the snaps because he's not performing right now. Um, you know, and that he's on a one-year contract and he certainly had great numbers in Seattle. Um, and, and the Chiefs haven't had their full complement of players because Frank Clark has only played one of these first three games and he was even on a pitch count at that time. But I just... I feel like we came into this year, I know I certainly did, expecting the defense as a whole and maybe most specifically the defensive line to really surprise some teams. And I feel like of all the units, the defensive line is definitely the most underperforming. We, we didn't expect much from the linebackers, so maybe that's unfair. Um, but I just, I even without Frank Clark on the field, like let, let me ask you this. I don't know exactly what camp you fall in on Frank Clark. I think that for the most part, everybody has moved to this point where it's like, 
we don't even know if Frank Clark is good anymore, seems to be the conversation that I'm, I'm seeing a lot. Um, but if Frank is the only guy that's missing, and in most people's opinion, he's not that important, then why is the defensive line playing so poorly through three games? Are you asking me? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Three deep dives. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, but it is concerning. And I would say it's the, uh, it's the biggest concern for this season. Uh, so, you know, it kind of got some concerns of, like, what's going on right now. Uh, maybe you could point at the offense and maybe, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes struggling a little bit. You got the biggest concerns long-term. And, you know, maybe you could point at Brett Veach, uh, his talent evaluation, um, his, his drafting, kind of something like that. But the biggest concern for this season, the 2021 Chiefs, to me, is the pass rush. Uh, and I just remember seeing, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with my brother on Saturday night, watching a classic Nebraska uh, blowjob. Uh, well, wait a second. No, that's, that's not what we're watching. No, no, no. just the Nebraska game. Um, and, you know, I'm like, he's like, are you feeling confident about the game? Oh, yeah, yeah, if you're confident, man, we're coming off a loss. We're playing at home. You know? And then I see across the bottom ticker, Frank Clark out, Chris Jones questionable. And I immediately, oh, shit. I mean, I mean, even Frank Clark's playing. I don't, I don't know if that really registers. But now Chris Jones, who's a game time decision. So even if he plays, he's going to be banged up. I, I'm just like, I don't know how we're going to pressure the passer. Like, I don't. There's nobody else on the defensive line that I trust to get pressure on the quarterback. So if those two are out, I, we're just going to get work. Like we're, we're never going to get pressure. We'd have to manufacture all, all the pressure that we get. Um, so I immediately became worried once I saw that and kind of thought about it, like, oh, shit, we're going to have a tough time getting after him. And, you know, Dana did look okay, and he might be the most promising right now, but everybody else across the board, it's just I, I got no confidence in him, even, even with – you know, maybe Chris Jones was banged up in that game, so he wasn't at his best. But and he he, he showed up a few. He got a few pressures, but him alone, I guess, just isn't enough. Um, so you you need both of those guys at full strength, and it's kind of almost how we talked about the offense. Like we got Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and as long as both of those guys are fully healthy, which we saw issues with that this week, you know, the offense should be in great shape because those two are enough. But if one of them goes down, we're in big trouble. And we're kind of seeing that along the defensive line, that we need both of those two to be at full strength and effective. And right now we have Chris Jones, who isn't at full strength, and we have Frank Clark, who isn't at full strength and might not even be effective if he was at full strength. And that's a huge concern, because if we can't rush the passer, um, you know, that's even in 2019 when our defense, we're just getting the league average. That's the goal here, get a league average defense. We were league average because we could pressure the quarterback so well. And this year, I don't see that same potential from this group right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly understand. I think it's a wrist injury for Chris Jones, um, which makes things difficult as a defensive lineman. Um, but I still – there's something – I can't get past this thought – and I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are going to be like, okay, here we go. Um, it is Frank has to be in some way 
like the key to this entire defense because dude this is so ugly it's so bad they're bad against the run they're bad against the pass they're not affecting the quarterback and I don't know what it is about Frank Clark because we know that outside of you know maybe an eight at most game stretch during 2019 that included the run through the Super Bowl like Frank hasn't been ideal he's certainly not a prolific pass rusher um, and, and doesn't really measure up to the contract that they gave him. But I gave you guys those numbers. We're in the worst three-game stretch that this defense has had under Steve Spagnuolo. Um, it's, it's really rough right now. And so when I think about Frank Clark, I was thinking, you know, listen, Gay Watch is still in this delayed release um, and unfortunately, it looks like delayed even an extra week, um, not going to be ready for week four in Philadelphia. And because Sammy Watch isn't here anymore, I thought that maybe I would need to do uh, some kind of replacement segment. Let's watch someone. And so the what watch that I'm going to do is where's Frank Clark? So... Without further ado, where's Frank Clark? Do 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 do. Where's Frank Clark? Do 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 do. Where's Frank Clark? Do 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 do. Where's Frank Clark? Where's Frank Clark? Do 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 do. Where's Frank Clark? Do 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 do. Where's Frank Clark? Do 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 do. Where's Frank Clark? Where's Frank this week, folks? Frank is limited. He is dealing with. Not one, but two hamstring issues. I believe technically, in Andy's words, no, 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 that one, that one's fine now. It's the other one. He hurt the other one. Uh, but through three games, we've only seen about 40 snaps of Frank Clark. And, and I don't really know where he is. Uh, mentally or physically, I'm not sure. We're not sure where Frank is. Has anyone seen Frank Clark? We could use him. The defense could sure use him. And that's this week's Where's Frank Clark? Well, you know, I was I was kind of grinding some tape this week. Uh, and I did notice a hole in his game that I think he can he can fix it this week. Um, if he just takes the field with the Uzi that he had in his back seat. So okay. if he just were to line up a defensive end with the Uzi, uh, you know, he's packing the Uzi, he's got it tucked away in his pads. Maybe that would intimidate some offensive tackles. He'd get some pressures that way. So I think um, if, if you were to just make that slight adjustment, if I'm as defensive line coach, that's what I'm telling him in meetings, uh, bust out that Uzi and take the field with it. I'll, uh, is it what's the, is that the last Boy Scout? Is that the – there's a football movie where he brings a gun on the field. Is it the last <laughs> – Program? No, 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 no. It's, it's no. something else. I'll, I'll – yeah, we'll fight. We'll figure it out. But that's, that's my only advice for Frank Clark. The gridiron game. He only has he only has 14 sacks in his Chiefs career here. Um, I guess that doesn't include playoffs. Um, but Frank Clark, I mean, as a whole, I, you know, this this kind of happens when you know you win a Super Bowl, you kind of elevate everybody who's a part of it, um, and for good reason. For a lot of them, I mean, Sammy Watkins plays huge in the playoffs, and he catches a huge pass in the Super Bowl. Frank Clark. Kind of, you know, helps shift the demeanor of the defense for that season. So you kind of overrate everybody who takes part uh, in a Super Bowl winning season like that. 
And I think that just kind of happened to Frank Clark and he kind of had a honeymoon season last year. And now it's kind of like, Frank, what the hell have you actually done for us? Where, where's the actual results for what we're paying you? Because you know, not only are we paying you, but we also gave up a first round pick to get you. Um, so it's just a lot of problems with the process there um, and not a lot of results out of old Frankie. And by the way, what the hell was that song? Was that, was that, was that mimicking something? Was that, what, was, what, was, what was I listening to there? It was Baby Shark and, and we call Frank Clark the shark. And so I thought I could, ah. where's, where's Frank Clark do, 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 do my way uh, through it. And you were, you were horrified. I, saw oh, I don't know. What the hell is Baby Shark? What the hell is that? Oh, well, it's, is it's, that like Left and Right Shark? I know Left and Right Shark. Uh, no, it's uh, it had like almost 9.4 billion views on YouTube when I pulled it up. Uh, so it's really popular. Well, yeah. I bet those people love fast interference calls. Never heard of it. <laughs> A bunch um, of doves out there watching Baby Shark. A bunch of doves. There, there you go. Uh, one last thing on the defense, and um, listen, I wanted to get to this primarily because um, this, I feel like, in some ways, is like the bread and butter of what Amateur Hour is about. Um, another reason that I'm mad at Steve Spagnolo is because this whole Juan Thornhill situation is dumb. It's so dumb. Um Nobody that I have heard every time that I've heard like a radio personality ask like somebody from the newspaper or, you know, any, any kind of interview, if people are asked what is going on, why isn't Juan Thornhill playing more? Everyone says, I don't want to speculate, but right. Nobody wants to speculate. Well, welcome to amateur hour folks. Let's speculate away. Dirk, do you have any any theories about why Juan Thornhill is not playing? And Daniel Sorensen is. Well, have we have we considered that maybe Juan Thornhill just isn't any good? <laughs> have we considered that? <laughs> I mean, I guess that is a possibility. <laughs> this was supposed to be a getting at Steve Spagnolo instead of Juan Thornhill's ah. segment. Uh, so thanks for that. Okay, and, I, I got another one. I got another one. Things have gotten so rough for Daniel Sorensen that now there's a 49 white guy, a white 49 guy on the Chargers making plays instead of Daniel Sorensen. He's, he's not even the best white 49 on the field anymore. Mm. That's, mm. How they, that's how bad things have gotten for Sorensen. Okay. Still has not a whole lot to do with, I mean, I guess... You're, you're putting it in context. Thanks. Um, I was trying to think about like, what could possibly have happened here? Does Juan Thornhill have a Steve Spagnolo impression that isn't very flattering? And he had one of those moments where Spagnolo's like right behind him while he's doing the impression. Did he hurt, did he hurt Spags's feelings? Um, does Juan Thornhill really like uh to make fun of spags music choices like spags is obviously a big springsteen fan did he oh. overhear thornhill being like dude springsteen come on i'm a bob dylan guy or something i don't know whatever i oh i got one i got one juan thornhill thinks there should have been a holding call on the david tyree helmet catch 
Mm. Oh, that. Okay. <laughs> what? What? Fuck you. Fuck you, Juan. I just, I the reason that I feel like a little comic relief in this situation is valuable is because it seems so ridiculous. I don't know how to make sense of it. Um, I think that the most likely argument that people would make for Daniel Sorensen is that maybe he's a, a, a more sure tackler. It's like, okay, well, he also can't put himself in position defensively to even make half the plays that Thornhill does. And he hasn't been a particularly sure tackler so far in 2021. No, that's, that is the last argument I would make is that Sorensen is a sure tackler. No, that's the last. I mean, the other thing is that potentially he knows the defense better or they rely on him more or whatever. But it's like, dude, Thornhill started over Sorensen as a rookie and played extremely well. And, and maybe he's not the same player. That's entirely possible. But I don't wait, want to hear arguments about not knowing the defense when he knew it well enough to start over Sorensen two years ago. Didn't, did Sorensen go to BYU? Yes. Maybe Sorensen is actually Andy Reid's child. I don't think that the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, paternity, uh, Andy Reid and, and Daniel Sorensen is a thing. If Andy Reid's BYU bias were that big, I think that Zane Anderson would be on the roster over, say, I don't know, Armani Watts or something. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't end up. He's not his child. I said he's his child, not his BYU child. Okay. Well, sure. You're okay. That's fair. Mormons have a lot of kids. Is that what you're saying? A lot of wives, a lot of kids. There's a lot of things out there. Okay. A lot of Andy's. All right, look, that's that's pretty much hey, you, what I've got. You asked for this. You asked for this. <laughs> well, theories after three deep dives, um, maybe not the best decision making. Uh, I, that's fair. That's fair. Let's let's switch to the offensive side of the ball, Dirk. You're going to drive this thing, despite your performance during our uh, our defensive segment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, um, uh, let's let's talk a little Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know. Patrick Mahomes made that mistake early. Um, a lot of people want to quantify that first throw as either, you know, a bad throw or a drop when it's pretty clearly a throw that was way behind him and a, a ball that should have been caught by an NFL receiver. Both at fall, bad throw, bad catch. Um, you know, the, the real questionable part is should he have no-looked it? Um, and that's that's kind of the little bothersome part because we, now we've kind of seen um, – you know, two weeks in a row here where Mahomes has tried to try, tried to do the Mahomes magic and it's backfired uh, through a real bad interception against the Ravens last week. And now the little no look here this week. And I've seen some people say he needed to do it. I would come down that he did not need to do it. I see that it kind of helped move that linebacker a little bit. But, man, he's so open that, you know, a quick I think a quick glance off would have been all I needed and then just make the throw. So, you know, and I think I feel like after that, this, his confidence wavered just a little bit. Um, didn't quite seem like the same Patrick Holmes to me. Um, seemed a little antsy in the pocket. Seemed a little skittish out there. So I don't know if his, his confidence was a little shaken. 
Um, but and then you kind of got some of the uh, trying to do too much too, um, which we definitely have a history with with Mahomes trying to do too much, uh, which is understandable given how much he can do. Um, so it's just it, it's just it's a real delicate balance because you always want Mahomes to be Mahomes, but that's twice now that the you know Mahomes magic types of plays have backfired into a bad turnover. Um, and that kind of, you know, turnovers can get contagious, as we saw, that led to three turnovers on the first three drives. But it just didn't seem like the same type of smooth play from Mahomes that we're used to um, in this game. Did you, what was your take on Mahomes in this game? I, there's a couple things that I, like, stepped away after, uh, after the game was over that I've been thinking about over the last few days. Um, and, and I don't know that these are about Mahomes's play per se, but more about just kind of like the specter of Patrick Mahomes and how that affects maybe how other guys on the team play or just like an overall kind of team posture. I, I'm, I think that it's undeniably true that the magic of Patrick Mahomes has created a situation where, but we have Mahomes has become a blanket excuse for a host of other problems. He covers up so many different mistakes um, that they end up maybe not seeming like a big deal because for example, last year um, on a, on a team that was excellent, you know, really up until, and we, I think we still believe that just because the offensive line was banged up is the only reason they lost the Super Bowl. I mean, they went 14 and two in one of those games, they rested everybody. Um, but I, I'm starting to think that this unbridled trust in Mahomes' ability to create points out of thin air, seemingly, always, you're always in the game. Literally, never, ever, ever, any situation are you out of it. I feel like it's kind of created a situation where the team feels like it can play sloppy, that it can have all these mistakes and that the consequences for them aren't all that real. Um, and, and that to me, it's really hard to coach out of a team. Um, and, and I think in some ways, and this is not in any way trying to say that like Mahomes is uncoachable, because uh, it seems like the the opposite of that is is really where he's at. But I think it's hard to coach out of Mahomes some of those tendencies. You know, Andy Reid always says that you want to let your player's personality show. He doesn't want to rein in things like the no look pass. Maybe it wasn't fully necessary to a guy. You know, the caliber of Marcus Kemp, um, but. I, I do think that there's a combination of things happening offensively and whether it's getting a rhythm with the new offensive line, um, trying to keep in mind the mistakes that he's made in the past. Um, I don't know what good or bad pocket presence looks like. Um, I, not really, I don't think. I mean, I guess Tom Brady always looks really confident and doesn't move around very much, but he's not good at moving around very much. So um, you know, I, I expect that he and Mahomes are going to look very differently when they drop back to pass. I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking that there is a certain level of ego 
associated with Mahomes that has made it to where the only time that all of these little things that they probably do all the time, they're one of the most penalized teams in the league over the last four years. You know, they probably don't turn the ball over anywhere near the rate that they've done to start this season, um, you know, historically in Mahomes' career. But I, I do think that we've seen pretty sloppy play from the Chiefs over the last three years. Um, and because Mahomes and, and Andy Reid are able to get them to a place where they're consistently winning, winning a lot more than they're losing, um, those problems are only exacerbated when you're in a situation where you start a season, you know, one and two, and you have four turnovers in a game against the Chargers, and you're in last place in your division for the first time in five years. Yeah, I don't know if that much is different than last year other than they're losing the one score games because mm -hmm. they had some games like this last year, but they, I mean, their record in one score games, I don't have the number in front of me, but I can just tell you that it was very good because they only lost one game, one real game throughout the season. It was a one score game, but they probably won eight or nine, I would guess. Well, so here is a stat that it doesn't tell you exactly how many, but they only have one win of six or more points since November 1st of 2020, you know, so over the last 10 games or whatever that is, maybe it's closer to 15. If you're including the playoffs, they've only won by six or more once they're like historically not covering the spread. Yeah. So it's real interesting how we're looking at things because we're essentially two plays away from being three and oh, and two plays mind you that it's very weird because teams are winning these games because they're bending the rules on how to play the Chiefs. And this is something that Nick Wright uh, went in on Monday with, and I was kind of mad about it because I had it square in my notes before that, that teams two weeks in a row now have made decisions that they wouldn't typically make against just a normal NFL team. And it's inadvertently making the analytically smarter decision, which is, which is kind of crazy because the Ravens going for it on that fourth and one last week, it's because they didn't want to give the ball back to Mahomes, and rightfully so. So, I mean, this this was a smart decision, and it helped lead to that win. So then we have the Chargers on fourth and four. Whoa, surprising. They're going to go for the, the – they're going to go for it here. They're not going to give Mahomes another chance. And then on fourth and nine, a shocking decision to me. I was like, holy shit, man, these guys are all in. Um, and, you know, that was obviously the bullshit PI call. But these are decisions that I don't think coaches would be making against normal teams that they are making against Mahomes. And it's actually the smarter decision. So it's really weird to see how these things are changing. But, you know, the, the Chiefs are two plays away from being 3-0 and where we're just sitting here, you know, much like last year. Like, man, we're the, we're the top dog again. We're winning these close games. We hit Mahomes isn't even on track yet. We're still winning. Or, you know, we're one play away from being 0-3. Can you imagine this team at 0-3 right now? That would be unreal. I can't, I can't even imagine what it would be like if the team was 0-3 right now. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like I've got a lot of um, – you want to – go ahead, go ahead. So, real quick, um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, in the Arrowhead Pride editor show, there's a clip of Pete Sweeney talking about how maybe uh, this red zone statistic is a little bit arbitrary because of the way that teams are playing the Chiefs. Um, and ultimately, you know, you sometimes even get into these situations where you just want to let the other team score so that you can get the ball back to Mahomes. And he was kind of proposing 
that the new red zone, um, and some of this also relates to that, like not only were they going to go for it on fourth and four, they ended up going for it on fourth and nine after the penalty. Um, seeing how teams are playing the Chiefs differently, he was saying that maybe the new red zone is the opponent's 25 to the 50. Because if they are on their own side of the 50-yard line and you get them into anything other than maybe like fourth and two-ish, they're probably going to punt. As soon as they get into your territory, it's like teams are going to be so aggressive, right? And, and because the Chiefs are the Chiefs at this point, any team comes in, they're, the Chiefs are going to be favored in probably every game for the rest of the year. So all these teams are playing, for the most part, like – they're, they have nothing to lose, right? I mean, we talked about how the Chiefs might be playing in 17 Super Bowls over the course of the regular season because that's how other teams are going to treat them. And so if other teams are going to be that aggressive, maybe we need to, as best we can, um, and you know whether this is a suggestion for Steve Spagnuolo, I don't know, but like emphasize trying to get off the field early instead of being able to clamp down in the red zone you know, that was one of the things that we complained about with that Bob Sutton defense was bend, but don't break. Well, maybe this is like, don't, don't bend, right? You got to try to get the ball away from, but, but one of the issues that we've seen through these first three games is the, a lack of complementary football between the offense and the defense, right? Like the offense has got to get to a point where they're actually helping out the defense. They got to capitalize on turnovers they got to get points when the defense gets a stop. They haven't been doing these things. They certainly have to protect the football better, but I do think we're looking at outliers, right? I mean, Mahomes hadn't thrown an interception in September until, you know, week two, um, and Clyde had never thrown. We've seen all these different things that, that feel uh, a little odd. But, I mean, even to the point where we talked about how slow they start, like playing with a lead. Think about those Colts teams, man. We talked about how with Mahomes, if you're going to be this front running team, then you just want to have, you know, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney to, to rush the passer the entire second half because you're up by two or three scores. Um, I mean, and so if, if the Chiefs are not putting their defense in a position where they can do that, then we might actually be able to jumpstart the pass rush if we're playing with a lead. And you're also seeing that the offense, you know, you talk about specific drives. They were coming through in almost every big situation last year. And this year, we've seen a couple of big drives from the offense at the end of the game, and they have not come through. And I'm not even talking about the fumble drive last week against the Ravens. I'm talking about the drive before that. And it's kind of interesting because I, I, I went back and noticed, like, the two biggest plays of these drives, third and eight and third and nine. And they called an out route to Tyreek on both plays. Now, the Ravens play, they threw it to him. Um, and, the, and the dude was blanketed all over. And then this week, they called the same thing. Tyreek cut to the left. I actually fired up the All-22 to watch this um, just because I wanted to see that play. He, he breaks on an out route to the left. He's well covered. Mahomes ends up scrambling to the right. And this is the play where he chucks it down to Kelsey, uh, and it gets intercepted. And, and Kel I feel like Kelsey might have had this if he doesn't hesitate. There's just a slight... Uh, he kind of waits just a second. If he keeps running, I feel like the pass might be right on target and it's kind of a jump ball, which still would have been a tough catch, but he might have been able to pull it off. So that, I think that's kind of interesting. They're not coming through in, in the biggest drives of the game like that, and that's why they're losing the one-score games. Um, so 
a couple stats on Mahomes struggling a little bit because I'm, I'm very, very interested in this. He took a little bit of heat, you know, for one of the first times, you know, he probably did after the Super Bowl, and I kind of maybe drowned that out a little bit. But also the people, you know, kind of watching this, like the film, the film dorks kind of came in and was just like, dude, he's getting pressured so much. There's nothing he can do. And there's drops all over the field. Like Mahomes did everything he could in that game. And, and that's fair. But he's taken some heat after this game, and perhaps more rightfully so. Uh, we did hear some some back to the basics talk uh, from the Chiefs after this game, and I don't think it's not like a shot at Mahomes or anything, but it's just like, hey, let's let's put away the fancy stuff. Let's just you know get back to the basics. Let's focus on what we can do. And you know, I, I, I just I'm just gonna keep saying back to the basics, I guess. But but focusing on the easy stuff and fixing that, and you know, getting back on track. A few stats from that game. Uh, the offense had a good game, but really the running game outpaced them. We, aver we averaged more yards per run than we did per pass, uh, which is pretty rare with the Mahomes chief or pretty much rare for any NFL team, really. Uh, but it was the third lowest yards per attempt of Mahomes' career. Um, the Saints 2020 game and then the Chargers in 2019 in Mexico City. Those are the two worst of his career. Uh, and oddly... Uh, two of his worst three, three of his worst six, and five of his worst 14 lowest yards per attempt per game have all come against the Chargers. Mm -hmm. So if any team has his number out there, it's the Chargers. Now, it's not. I don't, I don't think it's a specific scheme because they changed scheme in between there into this year. So I don't think it's that or anything, but it's just the Chargers have had some success against uh, Patrick Mahomes in his career. But what I'm getting at is that I think this this week, this game against the Eagles might be the biggest regular season game of his career, just because this is the most turmoil we've seen, most adversity we've seen on Patrick Mahomes. We've seen the Chiefs team look worse in his time here, where, I mean, we were four and three at one point in 2019. It, it, we're off, maybe, that's, maybe that's about equivalent to one and two, I guess. But Mahomes, some heat on him. And, you know, this is, this is when sports gets really good, when you see the best in the sport – kind of backed up against the wall you want to see how he's going to respond you know in NBA circles I always think of a few games with LeBron he had a game against the Celtics they're down 3-2 this was after blowing it against the Mavericks the year before and it's like all right LeBron it is now or never like the dogs are going to be coming out so that game was just huge and he had like the best game of his career there was another game like that the year before against the Mavericks where he wasn't showing up game four okay LeBron you need to show up this game and he completely disappeared. So he has a few on his resume of going either way, but it's extremely interesting to watch. I think these are the, the best games to watch in all of sports when, you know, one of the greatest in the game is facing adversity like this. Like, how is he going to respond? Like when Peyton Manning wasn't winning Super Bowls and everyone's getting in his ear, like, man, you cannot win playoff games. When he started playing playoff games, that was I was glued to the television. Like, how is Peyton Manning going to respond to this? Because he's obviously a great quarterback, but he's blowing it. All these playoff games. So I, I just, I got to see how he responds. I cannot wait to see it. And I feel like we're kind of seeing that, going to see that this week with Mahomes. How is he going to respond to the most adversity he's faced in his career so far? Well, and I mean, this is the only, the second time in Mahomes' career that he's lost back-to-back -back games. Um, the other instance being, uh, the 1913 game to the Colts, um, and then the 31-24 game to Houston, the two weeks before Mahomes actually ended up getting hurt in Denver. Um, and, you know, 
I, I don't think that there's necessarily anything happening offensively uh, that that's just like, oh, well, this is clearly like, this is the issue right here, right? I, I think it's a confluence of a lot of different situations. I will say, um, I heard something from the guys that do the Casey Lab, uh, Matt and Kent and Craig, and they were talking about the Josh Gordon signing. And they said that, you know, look, if, if what you think the chiefs are getting or what you hope the chiefs are getting is, you know, a guy that over the last 10 games of the season gives you 800 yards or something like the chiefs don't even need that really all they need Josh Gordon to be is a guy that can go out and catch three or four passes on third down and move the sticks. Because if what teams are doing in order to try to limit this Chiefs offense is saying, throw it to anyone except Tyreek and Travis, that's how we're going to try to defend you. And you're seeing these, what people are saying is like a layered blitz where you essentially have linebackers or safeties that are kind of keying on Mahomes. So they don't blitz, but as soon as he gets out of the pocket to scramble, that's when they come to him. It's like a spy situation, right? They look like they're in a zone coverage, but then they come right after him to try to prevent Mahomes from extending plays um, and ultimately being able to pick up third downs on his own because he's such a weapon uh, when he gets out of the pocket. Um, and so even just a guy, if Josh Gordon can really just go out and move the chains a few times, because we've like we can't trust McColl to do that. We can't trust Demarcus to do that. We probably can't trust you know guys like Fortson and and Bell and Noah Gray. Um, you know, and, and in Byron Pringle with big drops and Marcus Kemp with a drop, and they're clearly not giving Clyde enough opportunities in the passing game. Like we have to have a third option, and that doesn't mean that that guy has to go out and give you you know, big time numbers. We just have to be able to have somebody that on third and six, especially, I mean, if you look back at that Chargers game, a guy like Mike Williams, who was a top five pick or whatever, I get it. But it's literally just like, hey, you're big, run a slant against their third best defender and just beat him to the spot. Catch the ball, move the chains. That's it. There's not a whole lot that this offense needs. Um, and, and I, I think that Josh Gordon could potentially fill that role for the team. And I don't think it's really asking a lot. Yeah, it's, it's it'll be interesting to see. I was pretty blown away to uh, see that we signed him. Uh, a couple quick things, uh, before we're, we're going here, we're trying real hard to keep our time down here, guys. Um, but one thing I want to mention on the Mahomes conversation is that Tyreek got banged up in that game. Um, and that's kind of what you can see. You know, that's, that's kind of what we talked about. The two big weapons, if you don't have one of them, then they might hit some trouble. Um, and I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overreacting here to the, to the offense, but I just, I didn't think they looked right. Um, so, so maybe the Tyreek thing plays a big factor and maybe the wide receiver two thing is a bigger uh, factor in the offense than I thought. So, and obviously the chiefs might think so if they, if they went out and got Josh Gordon. Uh, so that's that's kind of the most interesting thing about signing Josh Gordon to me is like maybe that they're admitting that there is an issue there. Um, so maybe if Josh Gordon doesn't work out, maybe they try to get someone else at the trade deadline or something like that. But it's it's almost kind of an admission from them like, hey, you know, we need an upgrade at receiver two. 
Um, and it was kind of a weird week because everyone's everyone's hero, Byron Pringle, who we all want to see more, had a drop. He had a semi-drop, but would have been a tough catch. And then his other catch, he bobbled it. He, he double-caught it. Uh, so not the best game from Byron Pingle. Maybe a, a few signs of why we're not seeing more of him, even though I'd still like to. Uh, but just like that. Another quick thing, Clyde, who we've spent a lot of time talking about, he looked fantastic in the game outside of the fumble. He looked really good. Um, I thought the running game was kind of carrying the offense. Uh, and he looked he looked like a good running back. So I think we've we've shit on him a lot over the last couple of weeks. So I, I want to give him praise, even though he did fumble. Uh, so that kind of takes away from it. But just his running outside of the fumble, he looked good this week. I, I thought Clyde looked really confident, even though he fumbled for the second straight game. Um, he looked very decisive running the ball in a way that we haven't seen him. Um, and, and I really liked uh, the performance that, that he put out there. And, and honestly, you know, I was thinking early in the game, you know, they were mixing in Daryl Williams. Felt like I was seeing Jarek McKinnon a little bit. And I'm like, okay, so maybe they're really not going to go to Clyde, but they, they did. They uh, seemed pretty adamant about giving him the ball and, and keeping him involved. Uh, but once again, I mean, still only only two targets in the game, scores a touchdown on one of them. Um, he certainly, I think, needs to be more involved in the passing game, but it was great to see him running more confidently and, and hitting holes, not missing cutback lanes or running into the backs of his linemen like every single time. Um, he looked a lot more fluid out there, and that was, I think, a positive sign. Couple, couple individual plays. Uh, there was a there was a screen to Clyde that was so open, and we kind of saw Mitch Schwartz was touching on this uh, it, during the game, and he was just saying, you know, one of the linemen, I can't remember if it was Creed, I think it was Creed, I want to say, he kind of misses like the back block, so it ends up going for a tackle for loss, and we have three blockers out there that end up blocking nobody. Uh, so if one of them just peels back and gets a guy, and then there's kind of one defender out there for two blockers. That would have gone a long ways, and instead it went for a loss. And it's and the funny thing is you saw it corrected later in the game on the screen touchdown to Clyde, uh, and that was run beautifully. So kind of getting their screen game going. Uh, that first one, you just got to chalk it up to line being young, something that they're going to figure out. Um, a couple other game plays. Um, an example of Mahomes trying to do too much. When he's running that ball and he kind of cuts back in and he ends up fumbling, um, that's that was kind of an example of him trying to do too much like just go out of bounds there I get it trying to make a play is almost like he was having the AFC championship game flashbacks ends up fumbling the ball and recovers it somehow it was, it was a, an amazing recovery I think because I didn't think he had it. Uh, so that would have been the fourth turnover of the day might, might have been a death blow to the team uh, and then also in all weird rollout left where he's playing like a two-man game with Kelsey uh, this one kind of stuck out with me and it's like a play that we're just kind of used to seeing him make and it's one defender, him and Kelsey, and Kelsey kind of peels off, but he doesn't make the throw. And he kind of just eats the sack and takes like a two-yard sack on the play. And it's just a play that you usually see him make. Um, but just some, some thoughts I had. Uh, I'm not down. I'm, maybe it sounds like I'm down on Mahomes here. I don't want to be. Um, but just some examples of why I didn't think it was Mahomes at his best. And I'm excited to see Mahomes this week and see him at his best, which I think we will see. Yeah, I um, I am expecting – what I, I guess most people would call a get-right game. Um, I, I think that the Eagles are a tougher out than people maybe want to give them credit for, but um, 
Andy coming off this little mini scare, uh, the Chiefs having certainly their their worst September in the Patrick Mahomes era, maybe their worst September in the Andy Reid era. Um, there's a lot of pride on the line for that team. And I do think it would be poetic that Andy Reid get his 100th win as a head coach of the Chiefs against his former team, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm expecting a lot out of our Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. He was saving it. He was saving it. He was saving yeah. the 100th win. Yeah. Now lay down, guys. I don't want it. I don't want it. I got some gas here. I need to go to the hospital anyways. Yeah. So just not this week, fellas. Not this week. Took took it one step beyond let them score. He was like, you know what? Just let them have this one. Just let them have it. That's fine. We'll, we'll let them win next week against Philly. Let them win. <laughs> right. All right. Anything before we wrap up here, Dirk? Uh, I would love some of you to explain to me the low block on an interception return penalty uh, because it doesn't make any sense. They that keep talking about defenders so blocking. Um, you can't block if you're a defender. That's tackling. <laughs> I don't. And I see this penalty call. It, it boggles my mind. And it's just, oh, no, no, it's the right call because he makes a low block here. Nobody's blocking. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm losing my mind over this penalty. A lot of bitching for me this week. I'm done. I will say that um, among many decent plays from Clyde, that might have been my favorite one. Even though he got penalized for his great tackle. Form tackle, took the guy down, just really eliminated him from the play. It was good. Honestly, Hartman had a good tackle, too, on a on Clyde's fumble. Uh, if he's not right there and hustling or doesn't make a tackle, that guy's got to be gone because he scoops it up and it's a defensive back. He would have just – that would have been a – a score for sure. So good hustle on that one. I thought the Hartman looked good. Um, yeah, that's it. All right, folks, this has been amateur hour. I'm Ryan Scott Hall and he's his darkness chiefs and Eagles at noon on Sunday, I believe on CBS. I'm very excited for Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. Can't wait. Can't it's wait. 10 a.m. The game is at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Ooh, what is the 10 a.m. Game like on the, on the Pacific time zone? Ooh. <laughs> I know that they're like some of the older folks. I can't play music. It's not going to come through. So we'll just, you know, ex extend our goodbye here. Don't sing again. <laughs> I won't sing. No more, no more singing. Sing. Uh, I, I have heard, you know, somebody like Simmons, who's got kids and is essentially retired in many ways. Um, he says that he, he likes it because it's like, you know, those, those noon games, they're over at like one o'clock. The full football slate is over at like 6 p.m. or something. And it's like, hey, man, still go out to eat. It's not like bedtime right now. Yeah, it's not bad. It gets done early. It kind of limits your Saturday night a little bit. You know, I want to be up and, you know, alert at 10 a.m. Can't drink quite as many Pacificos as I want. Mm. Pacificos on the Pacific Coast. That's all. Who the best? Don't join.